We've all heard the term, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And that doesn't only apply to different parts of the market, but it also applies to different countries. Having all of your investments in one town or one state or even one country is really quite risky. Welcome to Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals, the show that teaches you and other busy pros how to grow your wealth so you can live life on your own terms. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Our guest today is Rachel Jensen. With a background in biology and Spanish and an original intent of continuing on to medical school, Rachel's life took a 180-degree turn after her first medical mission trip to Nicaragua. Rachel joined the ECI development team in 2012, starting as the organization's marketing intern at the administrative office in Managua, Nicaragua. At the end of her three-month internship period, she had to make a decision between accepting a full-time position with ECI or chasing her dreams in Panama with the U.S. Peace Corps. She ultimately chose ECI development. Originally from the suburbs of New York, Rachel now calls San Pedro Belize home. Today, Rachel is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for ECI Development, a regional development company based throughout Latin America in Costa Rica, Belize, Panama, and Nicaragua. From the ground up, she has built and grown the sales and marketing department at the Grand Bayman Community. Due to her strong passion of connecting folks with international real estate that meets their goals, she was awarded Salesperson of the Year for 2014, 2015, and 2016. That's pretty cool. In addition, Rachel structured the Teak for Residency program in both Panama and Nicaragua to assist those looking to pair up a residency with alternative options outside their home countries. Rachel is a resident of Panama and thoroughly enjoys the Latin American lifestyle. She's often on the road educating folks at international events about the markets and opportunities abroad. In 2017, Rachel was invited to be a founding member of the Rotaract Club of Ambergris Key, and she was recently elected for the club's Director of Professional Development. Furthermore, she is the co-founder of a biannual women's retreat, Five Days to Freedom, helping guide women toward financial, spiritual, and international freedom. So that's quite the resume in just a few short years. Pretty incredible. Rachel, thank you for joining our team today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to joining you and your listeners on this conversation today. So you've got some pretty awesome you know, international opportunities, something we get into a, a little bit on this show. And it's even more outside of the norm, so to speak, in that you're investing in more agricultural assets, or you have those as options. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the group I'm with, ECI Development, we build real estate communities throughout Latin America. And additionally, we offer folks teak parcels. So teak, the hardwood, it's a luxury hardwood that's used for a lot of fine furniture, outdoor furniture as well, crisscraft boats, the really high-end boats. And the reason that it is so popular and considered luxury is because of the remarkable qualities that it has. So within this company, within ECI, we offer folks the opportunity to start their international journey because as you mentioned, Taylor, it is a pretty new topic to broach. And a lot of the reason for that is because people are realizing they don't have to be multimillionaires to own something overseas. And I think previously there was this connotation that if you owned real estate overseas or if you did any sort of banking or investing overseas, then you had a huge pot to pull from and it didn't matter. And people, you're spending a million here, a million there, but that's not really the case these days. And as it becomes easier and you learn more about the international markets, 
We're seeing more people are deciding to do something overseas. And there's a handful of reasons for that. But one of the big ones that I've heard over the past few years is just this international diversification factor. I think a lot of people are worried about what's going on in their countries and are understanding that maybe it's a good idea to do something in another country, help spread that risk out. We've all heard the term, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And that doesn't only apply to different parts of the market, but it also applies to different countries. Having all of your investments in one town or one state or even one country is really quite risky. So we offer people the opportunity to do something outside of their home country. One of the big parts that's really important for us is the educational aspect of it. We want you to understand why you're doing what you're doing and then connect you with something that makes sense for you. And a lot of people have decided that teak is something that is of interest to them because there is this international component, also hard asset component. So like ownership of real estate, you do get title to the land. You also own the trees that are growing on your parcel and you're able to see it. You're able to, to go visit your parcel, hug your trees. And people really like knowing that it's real. It's there. It's literally continuing to grow in value. So that's just a little overview of what we do. And uh, we'll definitely expand on that during this conversation. Interesting. So what does the business model of a teak investment look like? Because you know trees can take a little while to grow. Yeah, they do. And the ones that really are valuable are the ones that have longer harvest cycles. And it's very, very easy for us, especially in today's day and age where we're so used to things being instant and getting returned tomorrow or getting returned next week that we typically forget to fill our portfolio with those long-term assets. And when you look at what a lot of the ultra wealthy have in their portfolio and the huge endowment funds like Yale and Harvard and Northwestern, a lot of them have timber in their portfolio because it is something different. It's not the traditional stock market. It's not the traditional rental houses. It really provides a different aspect. So when it comes to ownership of timber and specifically in this case, teak, it is a 25-year harvest cycle. Now, that's a long time for people to consider. So we have farms that are different ages. The first one is 19 years old, which means we're only six years away from the first harvest. Then we have another plantation. This one actually just sold out recently, which is three years old in Nicaragua. And then another farm where we're just starting the harvest or the planting rather. So it's starting at age zero. But the neat part is that you don't have to wait until the end of the 25th year to start to see your returns coming back. There's a process, and I don't want to bore you too much here, but there's a process called thinnings. And that's when you remove the trees that aren't really growing properly. And this is strategically done where you overcrowd in the beginning, and then you cut down the trees that aren't growing properly. You sell them. And then as an owner, you receive the thinning profits from those times in the harvest cycle. So specifically with this teak ownership, you get the title to the land and you get the ownership of the trees. And we have had a couple of people say, well, what if I don't want to harvest in 25 years or when you're planning to harvest? And you don't have to, uh, but it will be a little bit harder when you do want to harvest to find a company that'll harvest it for you, especially if it's just one plot. So what does the, I would assume there's probably no financing structure and it's an outright cash purchase, right? More or less, we do have payment plan options. So we understand, especially in the United States where we're so used to financing homes, 20% down, 80% financed. So with our opportunities, we do have payment plans where you put a deposit down and then over a 12-month period, you would pay off the balance. 
And for some people that works great, especially because you know what your income is going to be each month. Other people, when they're able to pay off the parcel entirely, they'll do that maybe a month or two in. But it just depends entirely on what the owner is able to do. And we do like to, again, have those conversations to really personalize it to see what makes sense for each person. And how much of a risk is there in, you know, I think about the possible downsides and one that really sticks out is forest fire. How much of a risk is there that generally? And then how do we mitigate that risk with these investments? Sure. That's a really great question. And and that definitely would be a risk in the first three years of the teak growing. After age three, teak becomes resistant to fire, rot, termites, anything that you consider a risk when it comes to timber, which is also a reason why teak is considered to be as valuable as it is. Now, prior to age three, because we do have newborn teak available right now, at prior to age three, we take extra precautions. We put firewalls up. We make sure that we use insecticide. But once we get past that third year, then the teak is resistant to a lot of those risks. So I, it's a little funny. In this case, specifically with teak, I wouldn't consider forest fire a risk. The risk I would consider would be more along the lines of if there is no market for teak at the time that we're harvesting. Now, we've done our research. We know that teak has been around for over 200 years and sold to the marketplace for over 200 years. So that may be the case, but probably wouldn't. So that would be a risk. But the neat part is that timber doesn't expire, right? Unlike agriculture, like mangoes or something like that, where you have harvest season. And if you're not selling your produce at that point, then it expires and you don't have any product to sell. Teak specifically and timber generally, as it continues to age, it literally continues to grow in value. So if you think of a log, a teak log or, or a tree that's growing, every year it's growing, it continues to grow in diameter. And what brings value to teak is the larger it is, the more you receive from it in terms of profit. So you're not really losing anything there. Yes, you're losing some time. And if you were banking on that harvest yield and at exactly the 25th year, that would be a downside. But the upside is that you don't lose any product from it. You just continue to let it grow and then just literally grow in value. Interesting. So, they, you know, they always said money doesn't grow on trees, but I guess we're <laughs> that. I'm sure you've heard that a million and one times. It's true. And it does grow in teak. And it's funny, we do tours out to our teak farm and uh, with owners and with people who are looking at the opportunity. And every now and again, we'll have someone in the group who has a little plastic baggie and is collecting the seeds from the trees. They're little pods that fall from the trees. And those are the seeds that will bring a teak tree to life. And so there's always someone in the back of the group who's collecting these little seeds, putting them in their bag, like, I'm going to start my own teak farm. And and some guy in Rhode Island was like, I'm going to start the first teak farm in Rhode Island, which can't really do because you don't have the right climate for it. But it's funny because there is so much value in the trees that we every now and again, we'll have these guys collecting the seeds. That's pretty funny. So what do typical returns look like? You know, if we're going to kind of put numbers on it, what are we talking about? Yeah, that's a really good question. So let me give you an example. So our smallest investment in Nicaragua is uh, teak. It's baby teak. One quarter of an acre starts at about 6800 And over a 25-year period, that grows to about $101,000. Now, that's net. That's after fees are taken out and, and whatnot. But what that also is over that 25-year period where you have the thinning proceeds paid out throughout. So you don't have to wait all 25 years until you see that return. Again, you start seeing it. Age 12 is where you start seeing the first thinning payout. So 
it comes pretty quickly, especially with folks, you realize that that time goes by pretty quickly. And before you know it, you'll be seeing year 12. So that's generally what the numbers look like. In, in Panama, it's a little bit different. Panama, the trees are already 19. So for a quarter acre parcel, it's a little bit more of an entry. It's about 23,000. And then the projected return on that looks to be about 79,000 because the harvest is in six years versus the 25 years for the newborn teak. So you can see that in, in Panama, because the trees are already at that point, obviously way past age three, very little risk at this point. Again, there may be something with the market where maybe we don't harvest in the sixth year from now, but uh, otherwise the numbers pan out. I'll tell you that. You know, as real estate investors, we really like to try to avoid taxes when we cannot avoid, but reduce our tax bill, you know, legally. Are there any possible tax advantages to this investment? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. So for the Americans on the line, you probably know that you have to report your taxes, you may be able to find loopholes where you're not necessarily paying them, but you do have to report everything. Do remember that for any investments you make overseas as well, is any income that you make, you do have to report it. Now in Panama, there are really great reforestation benefits. And our farm is certified reforested, which means you receive these benefits. And the first one is that there's no property tax. And the second is that there's no income tax in Panama. Now, I'd recommend consulting with your CPA or financial advisor about what that looks like for you, because depending on your tax income will depend on your bracket. But in Panama, you don't necessarily have those taxes. Now, Nicaragua is a little bit different. We're currently working with the government to put together a reforestation program. We started that about a year and a half ago. And I, I do believe definitely by the end of the 25-year period, we'll have something set in stone for that where it'd be a program in a sense that mirrors what Panama is offering. But at this point, it's about 8% that you'd be paying to Nicaragua in taxes. And you know, I don't know if anybody is who's listening to this has any international investments where you're already receiving income and maybe you are paying tax in that jurisdiction where you have that investment. There's also between a lot of countries tax credit. So let's say you pay $10,000 in taxes and I'm just making up numbers here, but let's say you pay $10,000 in taxes to the Nicaraguan government, then if you owe $12,000 in taxes to the United States, you'd only pay the United States 2,000 because you've already paid 10,000 in Nicaragua. So there is a system like that that just depends entirely on the country. Some countries don't have tax credits and you'd be double taxed. And that's really important to understand before you go into any investment. There are some countries, uh, Colombia, for example, where you are taxed quite heavily, especially with rental income. I think it's about 35%. And they may not have, I don't remember if they have a tax treaty or not with the United States. So you just have to bear that in mind, no matter what opportunity you're looking at, is how are you going to be taxed. But Panama is super advantageous. Nicaragua, it's not horrible, but we're definitely working on some reforestation benefits to benefit the owners so that they can come out of Nicaragua untaxed. I like the sound of that. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Rachel, what is the best investment you've ever made? That's a really great question. And I'm going to answer this twofold. I think for me, because I'm at that age where my time is valuable and what I'm learning is that I really need to learn and to take that next step. So for me, my best investment that I made was moving abroad and learning and finding mentors and really searching in this international space for what that next step is. And I've juicy time as an investment 
for me, I think that the six years I've spent abroad have been an incredible investment to my future because it's helped me to see the world, uh, helped me to understand the opportunities that are out here. And from being globally, I've made, or from being global rather, I've made good, I think good investments. I I do own real estate here in Belize. I do personally own Teak. And I think that the Teak will perform really quite well in six years at Harvest. I do invest in the States and real estate as well, but I I think having this global portfolio really is important. And I do see that as being uh, one of the best investments I made was with my time and spending it overseas. Nice. I like that. What is the worst investment you've ever made? Oh, yeah, I can answer that. So I bought a condo in Belize and I bought it because I was planning to put it into the rental system that's here. And I was thinking long-term rental because I didn't necessarily want wear and tear from nightly rentals. And then I ended up spending more and more time in it. And I ultimately decided to live in the unit. So while I bought it with this intention of renting it out and generating X hundred dollars per month, instead, I'm the one who's paying the X hundred dollars a month to live there. So from the perspective of it producing an income for me, it hasn't really done that. But I do plan at some point Uh, If I decide to spend time outside of Belize or in another country to put that unit into the rental system. So I'd say it's an investment on hold right now where it will produce something down the line, but not necessarily right now. Nice. What is the most important lesson you've learned in investing? For me, this is that I've learned that doing your due diligence is extremely important. Now, when I bought that condo in Belize, I was looking all over Ambergris Key. Ambergris Key is where I live. And there are tons of condo projects here. And ultimately, I decided to own with the company that I'm with because I know the developer. They've been working in this region for 25 years. They have a really strong track record. And even though it was a pre-construction condo, I felt confident that they were going to complete it. I knew the quality of construction that it was going to be built to. And I felt very, very safe. Now, I did look at other properties because my main goal was, you know, I necessarily want to live in the community where I was working. But when I was looking at the different properties around, I realized that a lot of them were not built to North American quality and standards. It's gone through change of managers or developers over and over and over again. And there wasn't really consistency. And, and I've unfortunately seen this quite a few times where developers go belly up and unfortunately you end up losing things. So When I was deciding where it was that I wanted to invest my money, I did do the time of doing the due diligence and learning more about my own company that I work with because I felt that that was really important. So luckily, I haven't made a bad decision. Everything's been working out as planned, except for the fact that I live in the unit I bought as an investment rental. But I think that due diligence generally, and that's true for everybody, no matter where in the world you're looking, especially overseas, where you don't necessarily have the same regulations that you have in the States. I know in the States, we're very, very familiar with Big Brother and Big Brother can act against us or it can work with us. And many times it's doing us a lot more favors than we realize. And when you do go abroad, it can be the wild, wild west. So just taking that time to really go through your documents, going through the personnel of the organization, understanding their business plan is absolutely critical in all of it. Great. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, feel free to reach out to me, Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L at E-C-I development.com, R-A-C-H-E-L at E-C-I development.com. And just mention that you are listening to this podcast and you're a listener of Passive Wealth Strategies for Business Professionals. So I make sure that you're always getting 
the greatest deals and updates that we have going on. But that would be the best way. Or feel free to give me a ring. The The best line is a 1-800 number. It's 1-800-290-3028. 1-800-290-3028. Awesome. And everything that you've mentioned, all your contact info and everything will be in the show notes for the listeners. I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing all of your knowledge. It's, it's a very interesting model and a, a very interesting opportunity. I definitely like the idea of making a return while getting residency overseas, particularly in Panama. That, that sounds awesome. To everyone listening out there, I really hope you learned something today. If you did, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, if you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend, bring them into the fold. Let's help them bring their wealth up, raise their income and all that good stuff. Bring them along on the journey with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Taylor. And I love what you're doing. The model, the concept of helping folks really achieve their financial freedom is so important, especially in a world like today. So hopefully you're all listening to Taylor's advice and feel free to reach out if you have any questions specifically about the global side of real estate. Love it. Again, thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and we'll talk to you on the next one.